PTF here. We're doing something different for this show. We have various people going to be coming in and out in a host role because my voice is more or less gone. It's behaving at the moment, but it'll probably start cracking even while I read this next ad that will kick off the show. Today's show brought to you by our friends at the Breeders' Cup. This weekend holds the two final Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win in your in races of the year with action from across the pond at Champions Day at Ascot. The Queen Elizabeth II Stakes, sponsored by Kipco, is a win in your in for the fan to a mile, while the Kipco Champion Stakes will feature Baid and is a way race for the Longines turf. Coverage will be across FanDuel TV on Saturday morning. Both winners will receive entry fees paid by Breeders' Cup, a $10,000 award to the nominator, and a $10,000 travel allowance for horses stabled outside of Kentucky. On with the show. And welcome. I think it's, it's how I'm supposed to start these things. Pete's been running around Europe, going to all types of sporting events, yelling uh, at football games and soccer games, and apparently his voice is hurt. So uh, I think he's probably at a pub somewhere, but uh, that's fine. I can handle this, and uh, and me and Nikki the boss will, will take care of the uh, the early. Or, sorry, the late pick five at Keeneland. Boss man, what's going on? Not much. I'm doing all right. Doing a lot better than our fearless leader, PTF, who's been over there uh, imbibing and celebrating and went over in time for a Giants win. So we knew it was going to be ugly after that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he had, his, he had his Lawrence Taylor jersey on. I saw with, his, with a photo he sent uh, for that game. And um, and so he's uh, he, he seems to be having a good time. Uh, while I got you, I, I got to ask you, I, I've texted you privately. Congratulations on the on the morning line, morning line job at Keeneland, which is a thankless job and, and a job that, and no offense, it's a job where I don't understand why so many people give a damn. It doesn't really matter to me, but boss man, congratulations. How's that been going for you? Thank you. I appreciate it. Should be congratulations, right? Um, <laughs> it's been, it's been good. You know, I didn't, I didn't file away any excuses, but the first few cards we were on a a family vacation that had been planned a while before that. So I was somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico making the first three morning lines. And I most, most people would probably say, well, your lines yesterday were the worst of the meat. So I was back on dry land by then, but uh, <laughs> it is, it is kind of amazing how many people really get very energized about it. And I guess, you know, I was thinking about this and I guess the reason why is that a lot of people that will, and I'm not looking to disparage any you know group of horse players, but I think a lot of people use the morning line as a guide when they're putting together a multi-race bet and they might come up a little bit short on their handicapping. And if I put odds that are too high and they end up not getting the value that they're seeking, then they get a little indignant. Um, at least that's my best explanation. I mean, beyond that, there's just a lot of people that like to complain about everything, but um, I've engaged with everybody so far. And, you know, look, if you're out there and you have something to say, that's my Twitter handle. I'm, you can tag me. There's no reason to, to discuss it without, uh, without including me. Um, I'm happy to discuss it and I guarantee you won't hurt my feelings. I'm a very secure man. So uh, I'm not <laughs> terribly worried about well, that. I was, I was talking to someone about it actually, you know, about, a, a, a you know, the line. And I think that Saratoga in, Keeneland, I think even maybe more so, are really tough because I think both of those places are very, very info-driven. 
because of the connections. Everyone knows someone who works on a farm, who knows someone who broke someone, who knew this, who knew that, who works it, who, who has the stallion, who has the mare. And I feel like what happens a lot of times is, is there's buzz horses that you're just never going to be able to get out in front of. You're never going to be able to predict whether or not this horse is going to take a ton of money. Um, you know, I think if you get a, you know, a, a, an allowance type of race, a, a stakes type of race, you know, I, I think those lines are probably going to be a little bit easier to make. But these 16 claimers where horses are trading at Belterra or, or, or trading off the farm, you're going to miss on those because there's going to be – it happens. We've all hung out at Keeneland, and you've heard about the so-and-so that can't lose the six. I, I think that has a lot to do with it because of the info-driven uh, kind of culture of a Keeneland, more so than a Churchill, a Keeneland or a, uh, a Saratoga. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it for sure. I mean, look, there was a horse in the in the nightcap on Wednesday named Coleridge for uh, Bill Mott. Irad was riding, and I will I will admit one thing, and I should have known. I should have seen this coming from a mile away. Nobody drives the market like Irad. I mean, the money that comes in on the horses he is riding. Uh, I've scoffed at his inability to have a decent ROI in the past. It's not the poor guy's fault, right? I mean, the public just hammers every horse that he's riding. So you know, I and and I think one of the mistakes that I made with that horse was that. That's not a horse I would ever bet, right? A Bill Mott horse off a long layoff that won a weak maiden race with a big pace setup, And I think that's probably why I kicked the horse's odds up a little bit too much. So looking at it and, and trying to get back to the task of assessing how the public is going to approach it, that's the key. And, and that's always, that's a challenge, right? I mean, it's a moving target, but yeah, yesterday was a little difficult, but there were a few races where there were scratches that adjusted the number of horses in the field obviously changed the points around. It also changed the pace dynamic. It gave everybody something to bitch about, whatever. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's bitch about this pick there's five. A, there's 10 more today, 10 more Friday, 10 more Saturday. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, I got a long way to go. <laughs> All right. Well, what did you do in, in race six on Saturday? Uh, we got a maiden special weight and uh, you made the seven sunny river, Judd Mont, Brad Cox, Laurent Giroux has some experience, has fast figures. Never out of the exacta. I think you're pretty safe making this one the favorite. Yeah, if this horse doesn't go off the favorite, then I need to find a different line of work, right? I, and, you know, look, in, inventing is going to get a lot of support, and deservedly so. But the problem with inventing is that I think we kind of got a gauge on exactly who she is two starts back at Saratoga when she was a pretty dull third behind She's Keen and Forever After All. And those two runners were both coming from Churchill. We've continued to see the Kentucky shippers do really well at Saratoga year in and year out. And then I thought Inventing would run better with the Blinkers last time. Tizzy from the Sky, or Tizzy in the Sky, is a, is a really good horse. I think one that you and I both needed when she came up just short to Johnny V's 11,000th win at Saratoga. Uh, back on Travers Week, and she came back and just absolutely dusted this field at uh, at Aqueduct on September 23rd. But that being said, Sunny River looks to have a pace edge. Um, she, to me, in, in a multi-race play, is a is a pretty viable single. Uh, I would probably use the obvious horses as backups, both inventing and forever after all. I, I searched long and hard otherwise in here. I really didn't see anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I, I thought that if you're trying to get real super clever, the, the sweet Lady Ivanka thing could possibly work i mean she's run okay you know she's had a tough trip last time she's been wide in basically all of her starts and, and kenny kind of sets i feel like kenny sets horses up for keeneland yeah. um you know i i think that he he you know he likes to win there obviously being from lexington and he always seems to kind of jump up and bite you and i think brian hernandez is one of those riders that can move a horse up you know and really give you that type of ride that can get a horse that's not supposed to win a chance to win but i agree sunny river from a from a speed figure standpoint, um, you know, having gone the, the mile race twice, you know, he's going to be fit. You know, he's going to have 
everything that 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 she that she needs to kind of get the job done here. And 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 I think she's the type of horse that you can single as well. Um, race seven, maiden special weight on the grass. I'm sure. How, how are you digging in pretty deep with pedigrees? When I know you do when you're betting. Are you digging in very deep with pedigrees when you're making the line? Yeah, same level. Um, I'll go through damn damn or sire stats, uh, damn information. I look at their PPs through Formulator, and then look at the uh, the progeny um, just to you know to try and get a gauge. There was a horse that won yesterday that was first time turf that had some pedigree on the damn side, and um, maybe I underrated it just a tad. With that said, there's really not a lot of interesting pedigree in this race at all. Um, Wesley's Philly Ashcroft or Wesley's Colt, I should say Ashcroft is uh, out of a dam who was a turf winner and a stakes winner on the turf. So, and she banked a little over a hundred thousand. She's dropped a couple of turf winners. There's some second family turf pedigree on the nine team leader who, you know, this is an interesting horse from a morning line perspective, because you have to take into consideration what the public has done with these horses in the past. And this horse obviously trains well because he has gotten a ton of money in each of his first two starts, including a Saratoga maiden special weight race, albeit one that that lacked, a, you know, a Todd Pletcher and a Chad Brown that was going to get a lot of money. It was just a five horse field. But then he came right back and got and was favored again at Churchill. So I'm wondering if maybe going to turf, being a street boss might improve this horse a little bit. Uh, the dam is a half to Tizaquina, who was a graded stake winner on turf. She won the uh, the Churchill Distaff Turf Mile on the Derby undercard in, I think, 2011, somewhere in that range from Mike Stidham. So it's, and this horse is getting blinkers for the first time as well. I, I'm very intrigued to see how the public handles him. Um, I also thought that the four Worthington was going to get a lot of support. Mike Maker trainee second time out who ran behind Gaslight Dancer, who came back and finished in the money in the futurity at, uh, at Aqueduct over the weekend. So that was kind of, those were the principles from a morning line perspective. I, Wesley Ward horses are getting a tremendous amount of money as well. So that's ultimately why I, I went to Ashcroft as the favorite. Jovanino on the outside. Um, who's one one letter away from being a very interesting name for you, but uh, <laughs> name still available. But um, Jovanino actually ran kind of a sneaky good race on debut. It was at Indianapolis, but uh, this is a horse who I I could see getting some money second time out. I made this horse six to one, which I think is probably going to lead people to believe I want to bet him. But no, I just think the public's going to bet him. Yeah, you know, I think a couple of other horses. Yes, I, I did notice the twelve Jovanino. I, I actually told G this morning. I was like, almost. Almost. There is yeah. a Jovanina. There's two Jovaninas that I found that were uh, one of them was like from 2002 that ran at Mountaineer. And the other one was a Mexican bred horse that ran in Puerto Rico. So I don't know. I, those are out there. You've got to wait a little bit longer to, to pull that one off. But uh, a couple that I thought were interesting. I think if code one gets in, um, you know, this horse sprinted last time, took a little money for Doug O'Neill. Now stretching out. It's a horrible post, but if the horse can yeah. kind of take back, make one run, the horse would be a big price, especially if it sneaks in off the AE. And then the other one was the, the seven, six missions. Um, a lot of times what I'll do in situations like this is if a horse takes some money, runs well, like this horse did going five and a half, then goes to Kentucky Downs and doesn't run particularly well, I blame it on Kentucky Downs. Yeah. No offense to our friends at Kentucky Downs. I'm just saying, I, you know, it's a tricky course. It, it, you're left, you're right, you're up, you're down. And, and I forgive a horse for that situation. And I think that it's a little bit interesting, especially with, with a trainer like Rudolph Brissett, who gets on a lot of his horses. I trust distance changes with Rudy because he's on their backs. He's not getting it secondhand from an exercise rider. You think we'll go longer? Exercise rider's like, yeah, boss, we'll go longer. Like he's actually on the horse. And so 
even though they tried the seven and it failed, the fact that he comes right back at a mile makes me think that he'll like this added distance and obviously has some talent from the way this horse ran going five and a half. So that was the only other one that I would probably use as well. And, and the four Worthington, they're going to bet the horse. I don't know. He's 18 to one first time out at Kentucky Downs for maker. That seems like there wasn't like, maybe that was just the horse ran well on that track, you know, being a, a horse with maybe some bottom to him that like a lot of these maker horses do. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to toss the horse, but I'd be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if the horse didn't win. On to race eight, the, what is this, third leg? Yes, third leg of the pick five. And, and I just thought that the six's name was really funny. You're so silly. Very clever. Yeah, good work there. Um, not the proper your, but, you know, we'll <laughs> let them get away with it. Uh, interesting name, no doubt. And probably one of, what, two potential speed horses in here? Yeah, I would think so. Um, you know, I would think that one maybe eight broke from the rail, uh, has a ton of speed as well. And, you know, cancel this. Yeah. I, I, I always want to see that. I want to say cancel this, which is hilarious too. Cancel this. Um, is has some speed as well. You know, and Martin Garcia from his uh, his olden days, he, he knows how to be forward on a horse. He does. I actually made cancel this a favorite. I thought her last race was very good and, and really kind of signaled the readiness for a forward move. I didn't know, you know, it's always tricky when, you, when you're looking at a horse like Scenic Masterpiece and the public is going to say, wow, she ran against CeCe. And I mean, she got in the gate with CeCe and she finished fourth, which was not a bad effort at all, even though it was a five horse field. Speed figure wise, it wasn't anything better than what Cancel This did last time out. And I don't feel like Cancel This's improvement in her last start was not consistent with what we had seen already. Right. So yeah, we, I mean, oh, you yeah, cut out a little bit then. No, you cut out a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah, so I thought she made sense. Um, I, Scenic Masterpiece was another one who obviously deserves some consideration. Jonathan Wong's barn is obviously all over the country, and uh, she's a filly who's run well enough now a couple of times on dirt to really be given some consideration here. I do think that you're so silly. Phil Sims is a guy who's historically done well at Keeneland, and um, and I'd like to give this horse some consideration too. You know, the problem is she really came out of nowhere last time out, right? She was 26 to 1 won that race from just off a hot pace and really improved by leaps and bounds from prior starts. I like cutbacks, but this was one that, that even I would have had a hard time getting to. So we'll see. She should get a really good trip outside stalking. We talked a little bit about Ain't Broke, who looks like the main speed from the inside. I kind of throw a blanket over this field because I think that I can go narrow in the first leg. I can be manageable in the second leg. I can get a little wide here because I think I've got a single coming up in the ninth. Yeah, I mean, it's just a tough situation because, you know, you got to think that the rail ain't broke is going to probably send away from there, fresh off the layoff from the inside. We can do take back and try to make one run. No, you just send away from there. You're so silly, scenic masterpiece, kind of drawn towards the outside. I, I want to make sure I have a ticket with Napa Candy on it. Just a horse who, uh, you know, was trying a little bit longer in the past. Now is cutting back. Didn't run well this summer, but – you know, I can kind of forgive that performance with a little bit of another break. I just think that Napa Candy is the type of horse that could pick up the pieces if someone's going to pick up the pieces. But, man, I got to have the one. I got to have the two, the four, the five, the six. Like you said, I think you could try to get slim somewhere else, especially if you can single in the first leg, which I plan on doing. Race nine, one of my favorite races, uh, and has a little bit more of a significance this year than I think in other years. But the, Q the QE2, the Queen Elizabeth II, um, the last chance for these Phillies to run against straight three-year-olds and, and kind of their, their version of the Breeders' Cup, as it were, uh, probably a cut below 
running in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf. Boss man, is it a Chad Brown situation again at Keeneland? I mean, it looks like it, right? McCulloch, I, you know, I will admit, I was never really that warm to McCulloch. And, and, and I thought that with the moonlight was a total cinch in Saratoga. And, but, and, and last time out, I tried that foreign horse to beat McCulloch a little bit um, in the multi-race plays. And she's just one of those Chad horses that seems to show up. You know, I don't want to put her on a, on a pedestal with horses like Rushing Fall or those types, but the more you bet against these horses, the more you realize they generally just are pretty productive. Um, the only thing I think that could work against her here is it does look like there'll be almost no pace on whatsoever. Timeform US has the five, Bella Bell on the lead. I'm envisioning that, that Flavian Pratt is going to put Gina Romantica on the lead. I know she wasn't close to a particularly slow pace last time out. The interesting thing about her is that on dirt, she actually had speed. But on turf, she seems to have more of a, of a closing kick. Um, but I would I would think that you know, Pratt being a guy who's pretty astute and Chad knowing how to read the racing form as well, I would imagine they'll put her somewhat forwardly. If it's not her, it likely will be Bella Bell, but I don't think McCulloch will be too far back. And uh, and I think that'll probably be just about all she wrote. I, I thought the Jockey Club Oaks Invitational was a pretty compelling performance. I think the mile and an eighth is still well within her scope, even if she might be just a little bit better going longer. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the same thing about McCulloch. I think that that's where she kind of started to take over those, those, uh, the turf tier races as they got longer. I think that's kind of her game a little bit, the further, the better, but I don't have a, I'm not like trying to, to beat her going a mile and an eighth. What I will say this is, is with Bella Bell, I, you know, I, I like horses that can be aggressively placed. I just, I, I can't play California horses coming to the East coast and racing on softer ground against what I, what I think are most, mostly better turf horses. So I really couldn't get into that. I sure mirrors, Eve is, is one that I wouldn't be shocked if they won. The one horse that I think is really interesting and doesn't help a lot of people in this pick five conversation is she's gone. Um, Mike Maloney pointed out to me a long time ago that Vicki Oliver does this for G Watts Humphreys. He takes, she takes her fillies, she gets them stakes placed, and then she gets them sold for him. She's gone to take back, make one run while the other ones are trying to win. And she's in a clunk up for third. If you're trying to do that reverse try thing, Nick, I know you've done from time to time. I know our friend Travis Stone likes to do it as well. I think she's gone's an absolutely amazing key underneath. And, and I think you make a great point with Gina Romantica trying to get to the front. She doesn't have a ton of speed as of late, but she's had it in the past. And the connections and the relationship with Chad and Peter Brandt, I don't think he's ever going to have to convince Peter Brandt to let him send one of his horses because look what happened with an Italian when they started doing that. She was basically a rabbit in a race, and now she's a dual-grade one-runner winner finding herself on the front end. So I don't think that conversation is going to be hard for Chad to say, hey, we're going to send Gina Romantic to the front. Yeah, I agree completely. I think it'll it'll be an easy sell. And, you know, Peter Brandt won the first lady last year with blowout in wire to wire fashion. Blowout was another filly who got really good when they they really let her do her thing on the front end. I feel if we that we were being a little negligent to not mention this horse, but our mutual friend Craig Burnick has the seven Paris Peacock coming over from Europe. And I really tried to dig into this horse's form as much as possible to get an accurate gauge on the morning line. And I wasn't going to allow Pat Cummings' opinion to sway me um, because he said he thought she would be about six or eight to one. I made her 10 to one. She's obviously a filly who's moving forward. I think the distance uh, suits her ideally. She's gotten better since they got her back to a mile and a furlong. Obviously, a little bit of moisture in the turf would help her chances as well. There was some rain on Wednesday. There's a little rain in the forecast on Saturday. The problem, Jonathan, is she's not been running against good horses. 
She's the horses she's been running against her a lot lesser. The runner-up last time out came back and, and finished 10th of 13 in a race at Newmarket on October 7th. So I just feel like she's even in a – and this is a weaker than Park UE too, right? You and I have seen some some really good versions of this race, including last year where Shantasara and Technical Analysis were both graded stake winners coming in that had really strong resumes. This is a little bit – lesser field i wish we could take this race and the sands point and like merge it together and put everybody in the gate at the same time but um so i think it might be a little bit too much of an ask for paris peacock but those of you who really really you know tout euro form and prefer euro form uh, you might find your your way into using her at you know at eight or ten to one and then we're going to wrap it up with a starter allowance uh for three-year-olds and up which started for a claiming price of 20 or less in 2021 and 2022, I think I, I've gotten to this opinion where these are actually outside of like grade ones, the most formful races because these horses qualify for this condition when they were a completely different animal. And now they are this animal. Which horse do you feel like has uh, has really transformed and maybe might have this field over a barrel? I mean, Feast feels like it, you know, he's, he's very, very fast and he's got one of the best front end riders in the game on board. He might be a little bit better going shorter, but, you know, that last furlong will not be terribly tough to negotiate if you've got a couple of length cushion on everybody else. And, and you know, he beat Hollis last time out at Mammoth. Hollis is a very, very fast horse. So you have to imagine that Feast will be hard to, to keep from getting to the front end and how much pressure ends up getting put on him. You know, anybody who wants to go is probably on a suicide mission. So I think he'll be pretty tough to handle. He is not that far removed from his $20,000 race that makes him eligible for this. It was actually in April of this year uh, at Keeneland. So we know he can race over this oval, and he didn't perform poorly that day at all. He did set a fast pace and got a little tired late. Sias has some familiarity. The horses from Churchill coming out of that seventh race on September 21st, I think obviously deserve some mention in Beverly Park and the Queen's Jewels. The other one in there was... Uh, don't forget, Alexandros was in the field also. So we've got a lot of horses coming out of there. I kind of use the way the public bet that race as a little bit of a guide as to how they might handle it this time around. And Beverly Park went off seven to two and, and ended up wiring that or yeah, wiring that field. I think he'll get a good trip stalking outside a feast. I felt like between Beverly Park and the Queen's Jewels, they really provided the only real challenge for feast. And I'd be comfortable having some combination of those three. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, these races with, with these horses, they're just – they're different animals. Feast is a different animal. Uh, you know, was in a listed stake last time. He's, he could, makes his own trip, which is also a, a big plus when you're looking at these types of races. And then to, to, to top it off, you know, I, the only other horses I felt like were main competition have similar styles to Feast. So if Feast goes too fast, they're going too fast, and it sets up for a horse I can't really find. Um, so I think if you're going to use some alternatives, I, I would look for horses that come from off of it. I'm going to be ice cold to feast as an A horse, and I'm going to use Beverly Park as a B, uh, as a soul, as a soul B there. I, I just feel like the race has to go through feast based on the speed figures and the consistent speed figures, not just one number. The last three numbers all win this race. So, uh, I'll be ice cold there. Yeah, I could see it. One horse that I thought might get a, get a little look from me is the two Alexandros. The only reason I say that is because. First off, a lengthy layoff for the new trainer. This horse was ridden aggressively by John Court, was forwardly placed, ended up tiring. Ideally, I think he wants to settle and make one run from off of it. So uh, I think you could see some improvement from him at what could be a decent price as well. And since we've mentioned good names along the way, I will say that the three Hooper drives the boat is a very good uh, – you know the reference, right? One of the greatest what is it? Jaws. Right, Hooper was the guy who 
Yeah, he tells you've seen Jaws, haven't you? Yes, I've seen Jaws. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Don't, don't, I Andy Serling. don't don't Andy Serling me about my I've seen Jaws. I knew you had seen Jaws. That's an easy one. But uh yeah, Hooper drives the boat, who I think is I think he caps out the word maximum with the jockey club. I think it's 18 letters, so you can't can't go beyond that. But uh, they got they got their money's worth. That's beautiful. Boss man, I appreciate it. I, I, we we went for a little bit longer because we paused in the middle for a couple of minutes, but also because I talked more than I said I was going to. I just got excited to see you. That's not a problem. I don't blame you. Um, my, the excitement was mutual. And they, I, the public is getting a big dose of me this week with Pete uh, overseas. Gabby, Goddad, and I did the Thursday and Friday shows, and I'll be back for the Sunday action as well for guests to be named later. But Boss I, man, good luck with that, uh, with that morning line. And you know what uh, you can tell the haters. You got it. I'm ready. All right, man. Talk soon. Thanks. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at the New York Thoroughbred Breeders. The New York Bread Program is unsurpassed in purses of any regional state bread program. The New York Thoroughbred Breeders, Inc. works to protect the incentives and awards of the New York Bread Program, including $181 million in total purses per year. Support the New York Bread Program by joining NYTB at nytbreeders.org slash membership with membership incentives, including the monthly New York Breeder Magazine, free entrance to any Naira facility, and discounts through NTRA Advantage Now's program. The time to join New York Thoroughbreds is today, and you can do so, nytbreeders.org slash memberships. Hello and welcome back. Not your usual host, but uh, Drew Coatney, the business manager of In The Money Media, here today with Klaus Ebner to talk Woodbine and JRA. Klaus, how are you doing today? Doing good, Drew. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm in northern Michigan. The trees are turning the perfect color of red and orange, and snow is forecasted this weekend. How about you guys? Uh, For once, Canada doesn't have any snow forecasted, but uh, I know we've had some instances instances of frost so far, so we're getting to that point almost where the snow is coming. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and Woodbine will run deep into December, I believe. So we've got a few more great months of racing up up north in Toronto. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're going till uh, December the 11th. That's our kind of a final day. So uh, get your long johns on. I know that the jockeys aren't particularly fond of uh, racing in the uh, sub-zero weather of December sometimes. But hey, you know what? Uh, the players like it and they usually have big fields. So that uh, certainly helps. Awesome. Awesome. And to kick things off, we're going to talk about the Saturday races, late pick four, and we're going to start with race seven, a maiden event going six and a half furlongs on the outer turf. This event feels full of horses that can be near the lead, but just don't love to pass. And Klaus, where are you going to start to get things kicked off in this first event? Uh, for me, I'm actually, uh, it's funny you said horses that uh, love to go to the lead, but uh but don't like to to do anything is uh, I actually don't mind the uh, the seven horse in here. That's the, the secretary of the Nile for uh, trainer Roger Outfield and uh, jockey Emma Jane Wilson. Um, this horse has done nothing but uh, but route so far and in the in the short career so far for this three year old filly by Pioneer Nile. Um, you know the numbers have been respectable and and nothing in here really stands out as as world beaters as you mentioned. So uh, for me, it's I'm going to take a, a, a chance with the uh, the turn back to a sprint. Afield um, does pretty well with uh, horses doing that here at Woodbine, and uh, we'll see if we can get maybe a bit of a price there with uh, with with Secretary of the Nile. Um, outside of that, uh, you're, I think you're right, Drew. It's just kind of a bit of a mixed bag of everything in this race in terms of you know first time starters and and a few other horses in here that uh, you know have showed a bit of form here and there. Um, one I, I, I did look at particularly a lot longer than others is the number two, a game or a game, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
daughter of distorted humor making her first career start as a three-year-old now so must this you know late developing three-year-old filly i assume uh josie carroll knows what she's doing first time laces off the board and she does pretty well with uh with starters and in turf sprints as well as making their first start how about you yeah and do you think i i thought about this naming of a game versus a game as in the rating of a game as a distorted humor type of joke for poor robert geller <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure sometimes he sees he's certain names and he's just like, what's going on with this? What, what's happening with that? Come on. Yeah, well, he's the man. And so what he says goes in my book. And and I'm actually going to go with the number seven, Secretary of the Nile, too. And we'll play a little buy, sell, hold for all the reasons you said. Has been relatively short price in the last four. Are you buying or selling at, I'm going to say, five to one is what we're going to see on the day? Yeah, I'm I'm buying. I'm buying. I'll I'll take it. Uh, Roger knows what he's doing, and uh, Roger and I are pretty. They're pretty potent together. Um, so yeah. usually, when you know he knows what he's doing, uh, and, and the fact that he's you know decided to turn this one back to a sprint to kind of give me all the confidence I need. Um, and again, very well bred. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you for all the same reasons. I'll also be using the uh, number eleven Galet at three to one. I think this horse has just been knocking on the door. Uh, 10 races, haven't dug too deep into the back class of some of these, but has the best overall figures and should be able to sit that outside trip. Six and a half furlongs shouldn't be too much of an impact of losing that ground. And then I'll also be using both of the first time starters as backups, just because we said there are no world beaters. The number 10 Camelot's Cup at five to one first start for Cassie getting the Lasix with Kimura aboard and also the number two A game for all the reasons Klaus stated above. Moving yeah. on to race Eight, uh, claiming event for 25,000 non-winners of two, going eight and a half furlongs on the all-weather. We're going to get things kicked off with the number one who says, with so little speed on, signed on, I think this runner could use the speed to advantage and get loose. Last out flopped a bit, but I'm willing to excuse that as maybe something wasn't right and today could be the day. And then we'll also be using as an A, the number two, Bekia, a two-to-one shorter price on the board. Last out, no response, but go back to 2021 form. And this is an easy race won by this horse. So overall speed figures will fit. And the jockey just needs to stay in touch with this field and not leave too much to do late. I'll also be backing up with the number seven French frock. I bet we'll see a bit less than six to one on the day where the morning line is installed. But fair value seems to be around three to one. We'll see on the day. It took a few tries to break the maiden for this one. And then once once does gets thrown deep into the Saratoga waters. So today gets a much needed class relief. Kimura, Barber, Cassie, the connections are right. I think this race suits as well. So we're going to use two horses as A's, the one and the two, and then a bit of a backup with the number seven French Franc. A little wait and see approach, but using a smidge on the tickets. How do you see this race? I think it's wide open and a fun one. It, it, it's funny you mentioned all those three because those are the three I had as well, Drew. So as you're going through every point, I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, I don't have much to say here other than what you've already uh, said so far. Um, the, the, the big thing for me, which especially with the, with the one who says is, uh, you know, if you look at that, uh, that start three back, um, that was a one to two shot in the form of Lady Moonshine, who was all out to beat this one. Uh, and then that last race was, was a bit of a mess. He broke a tad slow. Uh, sorry, she broke a tad slow in that race, uh, was rushed to lead by Leo Salas. And and I just don't think that she really needs to be on the lead. Yeah, her, you know, her perform lines say that, you know, she enjoys being on the lead, but, um, you know, she doesn't have to be there. I think she can do it pretty easily as she did in that uh, start three, three back. And 
she runs that number again with that being the the 70 i think she got a, a big shot here to at least have a say with with no real speed side on you i think you're right with it with all your points there Drew. okay great great yeah and so we're gonna move on to race nine ontario fashion stakes and hopefully uh you don't steal all my thunder here but i think you might <laughs> with what seems to be a pretty clear favorite in this six furlong event who are you going with here yeah, this is, you know, I think we both don't like being chalk-eating weasels, but, uh, yeah, Hazelbrook looks, uh, looks unfortunately, to, to the most part, tower of this field. You know, I know you can make a case a little bit for uh, for beyond my budget. If you look at the start two back, if you're willing to excuse the last one. So there are some numbers in there for beyond my budget that can maybe pop up and do it. But, um, you know, the only the only negative, I guess, I would have of, of anything with, with Hazelbrook, and, again, I'm not trying to, to, uh, to slag him at all, is just uh, – is just the, the the jockey Hoyt. Uh, you know, I'm not his biggest fan, but hey, you know what? Um, he gets the job done. He's done it, uh, you know, for for three wins so far this year, including a, a grade three victory. Um, but uh, you know, again, uh, this horse has done nothing wrong so far for for Norm Richards and the connections there. So um, again, I, I just think this one's a slam dunk. You know, th- there is one in here that f- sort of piqued my interest as I kind of dug deep a little bit more into it, and that's the number five. Um, Mokadama for Mark Cassie. This one's very interesting to me. Um, has done nothing but uh, gone two turns since arriving here at Woodbine. Is by Dark Angel, who's notoriously a, a sprint siring sire, um, and also who does very well with uh, with with turf sprinters as well as synthetic sprinters. I think there's, he's sitting at around twelve percent for synthetic sprinters. So um, that's one I'm kind of interested in. Uh, out of the rest of them, you know, the numbers don't really stack up for uh, Mokadama, but uh, I do think that you know, with, with the connections being there, being Hernandez and, and Cassie, you, you can't ignore this one. I, I think you know they, she could surprise at a bit, a bit of a price. Yeah. So so feet to the fire. You have an A as the Hazelbrook. That's my single A. I'm moving on from that. Will you be using the number five Makadama as a backup or as a just a consideration, something underneath? Yeah, I, I think I'm just would just, would just play her player by by herself in that race with a you know a little bit here and there uh mix her into mix actors and tries and just see if she can hit the board um you know maybe a small win bet just in case you know she uh <laughs> she upsets the apple cart here in this one because uh, i'd be pretty upset if she did it and, uh, and i didn't have any cash on her so yeah those that's what probably my, what would be my play was like you said singling the, the one hazel work and having a few savers on the side with uh with mock and individual wagers for, for the race Fantastic. And so we move on to race 10, the nightcap on Saturday. Optional claimer 10,000 going eight and a half furlongs on the inner turf. Uh, A distance you don't see very often. Typically you see the flat eight. They're starting on the bend this time. So they'll go two and a quarter turns almost as it is. Uh, But we'll start with you, Klaus. How are we going to get paid in this nightcap uh, that looks to be, again, a massive field and many options you could go? Yeah, um, I, I sort of lean towards uh, text me up in this in this start. Um, it's two starts, two two starts. At, sorry, two wins in a row rather for uh, this five year old mare. Um, she's versatile sort. She won on the, won on the inner uh, in her last start, which uh, with a career best number, which uh, you know for me is is kind of a, a good sign. Um, you know, again, he's Sal's has been aboard. I think she deserves a shot in here and and. You know the fact that she could be either on the lead or, or you know thereabouts, um, and the connections are, are, have been 
pretty hot uh, as of late. So um, I just, uh, there's lots like there for, for text me up. Um, I'm looking as well as number six, uh, endorphin rush, uh, you know, her, her start two back would probably win this event. If she runs back to that number of 74 uh, in terms of buyer speed figure, uh, Stein stays aboard, um, has, you know, done pretty well on the, uh, on the inner throughout her career as well. So, uh, another one I'm looking at, um, and then one, one for me, that's kind of weird, but, uh, I th- I'm going to give a long look to it if she draws in and that's the number, uh, number 12 color, Joey. I'm not sure if she's going to draw because she's on the AE list right now, but um, just there's just a, something about her. I just, you know, I like, uh, I don't know if she's fast enough right now, but there are numbers in kind of her back class. I kind of show she could, she could compete at this level. Um, she always comes with a late run. Uh, the question is if she's good enough. Um, but I think, you know, on the inner, at least she does very well closing uh, and she could sneak in there at a, at a big price if she draws in. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And there are a lot on the AE list. So uh, take a look to see scratches. I'm going to land on the number six endorphin rush for a lot of the reasons you said, but I'm going to focus on the big band Louisiana from two back ago that she tried to run up and beat and just couldn't get the job done. So I think the number six stacks up a little higher on the figures here than the rest of the group and gets the inner turf again. I think this one should be a good price on the day as well. So I'm going to single on the number six as an A, but I'm going to use four backups here. The number four, Glovana, closer type that had slow places to close into, finished a good third at 40 to one last out. The number five, text me up at three to one for a lot of the reasons you said, Klaus, uh, is right there knocking on the door. The number seven, Phil and Echo at 20 to one, upset the toad at 50 to one last out taking home all the bacon and close into those slow fractions today gets a, a heck of a harder task, but maybe the light bulb has gone on for this three-year-old. And then lastly, the number eight Lil's turn at six to one again, another closer type, but has run some competitive figures and I think is going to be hard to leave off the tickets An absolute spread race for me. The six is a lone single endorphin rush with four backups. Glovana, the number four, the number five text me up the number seven, Phil and echo. And number eight, Lil's turn. Any closing thoughts on the cards before we transition to the JRA? Yeah, no, I, I think we covered it all there, Drew. But yeah, it's certainly uh, interesting when you, when you have that uh, that maiden special weight to start off things. And uh, you know, again, it just takes like like you know, it just takes one one price in here to uh, to bulk up the price or payout on that uh, pick four. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll be looking for that value as we are skinny in other legs. And if we can get home that number seven in the night in the um in the start of the pick four we'll be we'll be off to the races there we go so switching topics here uh the jra um what's the latest news what what can you provide an update on with with that um so i think before we get into the the racing this week uh just yeah. a, a bit of an update in regards to breeders cup because i know some people are, are interested in what's happening with the japanese horses um so one of the main contenders Songline. Uh, she was supposed to run in the Breeders' Cup Mile. Um, you know, she won the Yoshida Keenan back in uh, back in June to qualify as a winning the rain race for Breeders' Cup uh, Mile Turf Mile. That is, so she's had a bit of a setback. Um, they're waiting to see if you know she can actually make the race still. Um, you know, she she did get sick and and had a bit of an issue. So just waiting to see what happens with her. It's it's obviously not great timing with the race being you know in about three or four weeks. So uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, Again, I'm, I'm not 
they really, in terms of the Japanese sending horses over, they really have to be on the top of their game. They won't send horses over that are, you know, questionable or, or not willing, willing to give their best efforts. So, um, again, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But that's kind of the, the main update. But in terms of this weekend, uh, you know, Sunday in Japan, Saturday morning for us uh, here, in at least on the East Coast, uh, it's the running of the Shuka Show, grade one. This is the last jewel or last leg of the Phillies tri- uh, Triple Tierra. So, uh, there is a horse actually this year going for the Triple Tierra in the form of Stars on Earth. So she won the uh, Oka Show. She also won the Oaks just narrowly. Uh, and she's looking to follow in the footsteps of a horse called Daring Tact, who won this race uh, in 2020. And also the Triple Crown, or Triple Tierra rather, in 2020. So, you know, uh, I think she is the standout. But for me, there are a lot of question marks. Uh, the most important one is the fact that she had uh, some bone chips removed um, after that win in her Oaks. So, this will be her first start back. She comes in fresh. The trainer thinks that she's, you know, on her game and she's doing well. Uh, she has been training well. Uh, and she also has the running style to to fit this race. Uh, it has traditionally in the past, we'll say 10 years, uh, won primarily by horses, you know, who are, we'll say, you know, um, anywhere from seventh or, or further back in the field turning for home. So, um, you know, she is a closer. She, she fits the right running style for this. Um, but there are some questions. So there may, there may be some chinks in her armor in terms of finding some prices in there. Um, you know, one horse that I, I like at a price, uh, she was, you know, one of those highly regarded two-year-olds and highly regarded three-year-olds in the early part of the year, uh, but she's kind of, kind of had nothing go her way. Uh, that's Numur, rather, but uh, Numur was held in high regard prior to the uh, Thousand Guineas and, you know, had an outside draw, did her no favors at all. She finished 10th in that race. Uh, she did come on late in the Oaks, but really it's just one of those horses where, you know, someone has to finish third in the race at a mile and a half, and it just happened to be her. Uh, so she did finish third in that race at a mile and a half, but she wanted no part of that distance, in my opinion, uh, was primarily primarily doing mostly on class. So I just do think, I think this distance of mile and a quarter for her will be perfect. Uh, distance trip, perfect. Uh, and as I mentioned before, but closer, she's also another closer in here that uh, will be closing late with, with the favorite stars on earth. And I'm hoping she'd be a bit of a price in here. Um, you know, outside of that, some of the other contenders in here, you look in the form of uh, Art House. Um, Art House, you know, it's funny looking at PP sometimes. You kind of see those horses, Drew, where, you know, you have horses that have win, bad, win, bad, win, bad. Well, this is one of those horses with Art House. So um, she won her last start. So I'm going to go with the, with, the, with the trend there and say that this is her off race. But uh, I think she will be still one of the favorites. Um, she does like the, uh, the the track and distance. So she's won three, three races over the Hanshin race course is all, and also – uh, three for four distance of a uh, mile and a quarter. So less like there. And also the fact that one of the top jocks in, uh, in Japan, Yuga Kawada stays on board, uh, the daughter of screen hero. So another uh, one of the favorites to like, uh, and then another kind of up and coming horse in the race is uh, in the form of stunning Rose. Uh, one, one of the preps being the great three, uh, Shion stakes, uh, really a tough luck loser of the Oaks. Uh, I thought she was going to win the race, but then got nabbed right on the wire by uh, stars on earth. Um, she's going to have a, a pretty nice stocking trip in this, uh, she'll get first jump on most of the closes, including Stars on Earth and the Moor, and, you know, it could be tough to run down in this event. So uh, those are the four I think that would probably, you know, have a big say in this race. Fantastic. And, and what time can us uh, East Coasters tune in uh, for this final jewel of their Triple Crown? Yeah, so the race itself will be around 2.40 a.m. Eastern time. So, uh, you know, brew that cup of coffee and, and, and get set to go for some late night racing. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's always good. Uh, great racing in Japan and, and large fields, great racing, uh, all around. Fantastic. And, and, and there's some news about some exports going over, uh, to some grade ones as well, coming up too, as well. Right. Uh, well, again, there, there is a lot of talk in terms of who's going to the Japan cup right now. 
um, yeah. and, and, and what's happening there. Um, so, you know, we'll wait and see. I think this, this, the, the nominations this year for, for the Japan cup have, uh, gone through the roof in terms of international horses. I think at last look, it was like 12 international horses that nominated the Japan cup. Will we see all of them? No, but you know, you're going to see the likes of probably Alpinista, uh, and a few other big names that may actually bypass the Breeders' Cup this year to go to the, to the Japan Cup instead. So, um, we'll pay attention to that. And, um, you know, I, interesting as well. I'm, I'm not sure if this we're referring to Drew, but, uh, there are a few expats in terms of sires making a name for themselves in Japan right now, especially in the form of uh, um, Mind Mind Your Biscuits is actually doing very well as a first year sire in Japan. So, you know, those watching the races will see a lot of uh, familiar names in terms of the breeding. Um, you know, Mind Your Biscuits doing well. Uh, Dre Fong is doing amazingly as well out there as, as a sire in Japan. So, again, um, it's not a very foreign thing once you kind of dig deep into the, the PPs and start looking at uh, some of the racing in Japan. Fantastic. Fantastic. Great. And uh, any, any plugs you have, where can people find you and anything you're promoting on in the money media's website in the money players podcast.com. For sure. Yeah. So we'll have our selections as well as the three PPs on in the money. Uh, so it'll be myself, Robert Reed, uh, Toshio and uh, Alex Henry, or it's all, that's our team of four right now that's doing the selections for Japan. So we'll all have selections. Those selections will be available on the site. Uh, and then we'll also have, like I said, as I mentioned, free English, uh, PPs fully flushed out. So um, again, you can get those pretty early in the day. I, I try to make sure those are uploaded as soon as possible, uh, allowing you time to, to handicap the races before the first race at around, uh, you know, nine o'clock or so Eastern. Great. And where can people find those uh, translated PPs? Uh, they'll be available on the In The Money site. And we will have that okay. through the uh, through the selections and uh, and PP blog that we, we post. Uh, and we'll, we'll, make, we'll make sure we share that with everyone. Fantastic. And that's in the money podcast.com. Yes, sir. All right, well, class, thank you so much. It was great to chat with you and we'll be talking soon. Thanks, Drew. Take care. Today's show also brought to you by Santa Anita. We've got this mandatory pick six. We're going to be covering in the next segment. Santa Anita's 20 cent rainbow pick six must pay out for the jackpot on Saturday pool estimated at over 1.5 million. Lots of other good contest stuff happening as well, including a $600 Santa Anita challenge on Saturday. October 22nd, there is the Showviver we've been talking about. You can play in that free online game, one horse a day to compete for money across five categories. And also the $14,000 Santa Anita Pick'em is back, an online contest mixing popular sports props, including horse racing and football, every Saturday and Sunday. You can win $1,000 per contest day. You can find out about all of this stuff, santaanita.com slash contest. That's santaanita.com slash contest. Next up on the show, very happy to welcome in a pair of guests. Oh, PTF, back with you, uh, I should say. And happy to welcome in a pair of guests, both of whom are doing an amazing job covering Santa Anita, this meet for us over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. First of all, we'll start off with a man who's been doing such a great job covering Southern California for us all year long. He is Dean Kepler. Dean, how are things? Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, Glad to be here with you guys today. And then we will also bring in the man who's been doing the Santa Anita Notebook for In The Money Plus. You've seen his work over at Trip Note Pros. He's a budding contest player as well. He is Justin Christine. Justin, how are you? I'm great, Pete. Thanks for having me on the airwaves. Let's dive right in. Race number five that kicks off this mandatory pick six payout. We've got two-year-old Calbred Maiden Claimers at the $50,000 level, going six furlongs on the dirt. Justin, we'll start with you. How do you want to light this candle? Um, I'm going to use three horses out of the A's in this leg. I 
I'm going to uh, show preference to the number seven, Reese City, eight to one on the morning line. I think he has a couple of excuses in his first two races. In his first race, he was off a little bit slow. He broke from the one hole, which is never easy uh, as a first-time starter. And then in his last race, a few jumps out of the gate, he was slammed sideways from a horse who was inside. And he lost two positions, and he was in the fray early before he got whacked sideways. So I think he has more speed than he's shown in his first two. I think he's got the cozy outside draw. Um, I love the way Maldonado is riding, and I'll use him as, as my top choice, A, and then I'll use reigning speed as an A, who's the one I won out of that September 16th race, and I'll use stay in the game as an A, who had a bit of an uncomfortable trip last time. He raced down on the inside. I think he's better than he's shown, and then I'll use the one and the two as B. Seven, four, and five on the A line, one and two on the backup line for Justin. Uh, obviously not an easy race to get things started off with Justin using five runners. Any more clarity from you, Dean, or is this a spread race for you as well? Yeah, it's a spread race. And, you know, ironically we're on the, um, the same horse, um, as far as my top pick is number seven, Reeve city, uh, for all, basically all the reasons that Justin just expressed there. And it's also interesting to note that, uh, Maldonado lands here, after uh, riding the two in his last race, uh, which I think I thought was kind of interesting, uh, Rispoli, I believe, is out at Keeneland uh, riding in the grade one Queen Elizabeth. So he'll be absent from the car that day. But uh, I definitely think it's going to be a spread race. And I would use the seven. Also, the uh, the aforementioned two, King Zong, who I think has some speed in here and is an obvious threat off its last uh, runner-up finish. And then, you know, possibly for a third horse, it would be the three, Mentorosa, I would throw in there as well, but I think it's the kind of race that you'll uh, you'll have to spread, and I don't have a, a whole lot of confidence in uh, anybody in here. But seven, two, and three, the ones I'll definitely note, and on the B line, basically, you know, if you want to throw in more, you're not opposed to that idea. Let's move to race number six. We've got maiden claimers once again at the fifty thousand dollar level, three and up, six furlongs on the turf. Dean, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, this is just such a competitive sequence uh, to keep this ticket somewhat affordable. I think you're going to have to really take a shot in here with somebody. I'm going to I'm going to land on a single one here with number two. You are pressed for Team O'Neill. Um, I was really impressed by his uh, Golden Gate de- uh, debut effort where he finished third. He ran extremely well up there, uh, broke slowly, dropped dropped back to the rear of pack, and then made a real eye-catching four-wide rally at the top of the stretch. Um, it was a really nice move. He ran on gamely for the show spot. He galloped out in front. Um, the only thing I don't like that, you know, is to the fact that Brody's cause is only one for 45 with turf sprint runners, which a little bit from, uh, you know, a bit of a hesitance here, but I think in such a, a scramble of a sequence here, you got to take a stand somewhere. And I really, really like the way the horse ran here. And I'm going to, I'm going to single him in there. Justin, what do you think about race number six? So I think the pace is going to be pretty contentious. And I think a, a big wild card here is if the 13 draws in, because if the 13 draws in, he injects even more pace into the race. Um, I, I'm okay with the 13. I'll use him as a, uh, a, a backup, a C-type. But I, I want Coach Daddy, because if the 13 doesn't draw in, I think Coach Daddy is the speed of the speed with the blinkers going on. Uh, Papa Pedromo's. His horses are running a lot better the second week than they did the first week. Um, so 
I want him. He has a couple races back with the O'Neill Barn that would win this. So I want to use him as an A. I also want to use Icy Flavor as an A, putting the blinkers on. That last work on October 9th, that 59-4 and four out of the gate, he wore the blinkers for that race, and he dusted a horse that's going to be in the ninth race today, and he sat off of that horse. So I expect him to be sitting in the second flight as a presser, and he's a half to a pretty good horse, uh, turf horse, uh, from um, from the George Weaver barn that has raced in New York. And then I also want to use Our Shining Light as an A. Uh, Ma France comes out of that race in Ireland. Uh, he came here and won first out in June for the D'Amato barn. Um, this horse raced wide the entire way, and he galloped out in front. And he's getting Lasix here. I think he's going to come from off the pace, and if the pace heats up, I want him to run him down late. And then um, I'm going to use the 11 as a B. And then if the 14 would somehow draw in, you got to use him as well. And then I'll use I'll use Dean's horse, uh, UR Press, as a C. Um, I, I don't love the fact that Cedillo's on. I, I think he should be more than 4-1. to one. I don't think there's much value in 4-1. to one, But I'll use him in case the pace falls apart as a, as a C type. Big spread there for Justin. This is one of the places in the sequence where Dean is going to take a stand. Uh, with that two-runner, you are pressed. Let's go to race number seven, Maiden Claimers, $20,000. Phillies and Mares, we're going a mile this time. We've got a field of seven. Justin, how do you see it? Uh, this is one of the places where I'm getting skinny. I like uh, Charlotte Harbor here for uh, the Serin Barn. I think she's in a good spot. I think she gets a dirt jockey upgrade. Miss Foley's great on the turf, but I'd take Hernandez any day on the turf. Second time in the Serin Barn, and I think she's going to love the stretch out, um, at least going a mile. I, I don't think um, Munnings is, is a distance sire by any means, but he's, a mile is certainly within his progeny's capability. And the biggest factor to me, guys, is that these mile races at Santa Anita are won from horses that are on or just off the pace. I think he's going to be the controlling speed. If the, if the four decides to go, I think he can sit right off him. And he's going to be a lone, lone A for me. And then I'll use the four Trojan Way and the six Sweet Heidelberg as my backup. Compelling case for Charlotte Harbor. You were talking about Hernandez and Rispoli. Hernandez, you prefer to Rispoli on the on the dirt? You were saying. Uh, yes. Sorry, Hernandez to Rispoli on the on the dirt. Correct. Gotcha, Dean. Let's bring you in for your thoughts on this one. Do you have any enthusiasm for Charlotte Harbor? I do like Charlotte Harbor. I, I picked, um, actually picked up second in here. My top pick was Trojan Way, who uh, comes off the claim in the second start. Uh, he improved with the switch to dirt, uh, running above par for this class level, buyer par in that second start. Goes out for the newborn today, uh, returns at the same level, second time blickers, switches to a more aggressive gate rider. So I think he'll be um, a little closer in here. And uh, he'll, you know, he'll be my top pick. And then as far as, Something to use underneath, um, like Justin mentioned. I also like Charlotte Harbor here, who stretches out. Um, this combo here of surrounding handers are five for eight, sixty-three percent, with almost a four-dollar ROI on overall with dirt route runners. So definitely going to include that one. And then as a third pick, it'll be beaten favorite uh, number seven, Kitten Calls, who stretches back out today, drops to a Creole claiming tag, and uh, has certainly run some competitive buy numbers for this for this class level. So it'll be four, three, seven for me. Race number eight is the beginning of the back half of this pick six. And we've got $25,000 claimers, 
Phillies and Mares, once again, we're going a mile on the turf. we got a big full field with 12 uh, figuring to go postward in the spot. We've got a, uh, a morning line favorite in the form of number three, Feathers, installed at 3-1. to one. Dean, are you with or against? Uh, you know, I would definitely put Feathers on my ticket. Um, it's not going to be um, – that Philly's not going to be my topic in here. I'm going to go with the five who is 0 for 9 going a mile, but really looks like the clear clutch front front runner in here. I'm going to hope that uh, she'll be able to go wire wire here this mare. Um, she shows four nice uh, workouts since that last tiring seventh place finish. Uh, she was chasing a really fast pace that today, and I don't think she's going to get anything close to the you know that she saw last time. And I think she's going to be able to get out there and carve out some some more moderate fractions. So I think at five to one, I think she's a, a you know a decent price here to potentially go wire to wire. I'm going to use feathers as well. Um, thing that concerns me about feathers, he, you know, he had a really tough trip in there and he ran really well, but he's never strung two wins together. Um, which is you know a little worrisome to me. So I'm not sure he's going to be able to run to you know back to that number again. Um, but I, you know he's definitely going to be on my ticket. And then as a, a third selection, the one Kitty Hawk Lass uh, makes his third start off the extended layoff today. Drops in class, finished ahead of a pair of next out winners in that last start on September 1st, uh, closing from far back. So I'm going to use those three uh, in the five-three-one order. One point to just piggyback on Galavi. You mentioned the, the poor market a mile, but that bothers me less when a horse is racing at a at a new low level, especially one like Galavi who was you know over racing in that fast pace last time. So I, I'm definitely sure. I think that's a, a compelling case you make, particularly on that one. Justin, how do you see it? Well, Dean's reading my notes because we see it exactly the same way. <laughs> Galavi is going to be my lone A for all the reasons that Dean mentioned. That three, you know, she got into that wicked three-horse duel uh, for the first eighth mile, and then she backed off, but the damage was done. And if you look at her past performances, the last time she was on a lone lead, she wired a field. So, and I think she's going to be on a lone lead today. So I'm I'm all in on Galovi. And then I will also use Kitty Lass as a B and Feathers as a B. I mean, Feathers got that fast pace last time. Um, and, you know, you're supposed to bet against these horses at short odds, especially if they've got to come from, you know, the weave through horses. And he won't be last, but, you know, he, he won't be in the, in the top flight either. So, um, I'm using him defensively as a B, so it's going to be um, the five as an A, the one and the three as Bs, and then I'll throw in uh, a C line here, the two and the eight, just because it's such a wild race. Um, Ash Morgan has taken the mount for George Papa Padroma, that last was a prep, and then also threw in Zababa, the 11. Uh, she, she made a middle move against a really fast pace. Uh, same race that Feathers was in, so I, I can I can conjure up a scenario where where she could get the money in a wild race. So the full spread there for you one and th- no five on the A line, one and three on the B line, and then what were the C line again? Uh, two two eight were the C's. Two and eight. Let's move on to race number nine. We've got two year old fillies, maiden claimers, six furlongs on the dirt at a field of seven. Justin, who do you like? Ugh, this race. Um, <laughs> it, it was this was this was a hard one. It's not an easy sequence, to, is to it? Decide. You're gonna you're gonna earn your money it in is, this mandatory payout. 
you are because I don't really see, you know, um, well, there aren't many short price horses and the ones that are short prices, I don't necessarily have any confidence in. This race is, is no different. I mean, um, the two ends up being the favorite here um, for Peter Miller. I, I have to use that horse as an A. I don't know if it can run. I don't know if she can run a lick on the dirt, but um, she's going to she's gonna be an A for me. I'm going to use Hylia Hottie as an A, uh, going to the O'Neill barn. She goes inside post to outside post. Um, she got dusted by um, that horse that I talked about in the in the fixed race yep. uh, in their last workout, um, Icy Flavor. So I don't know if that means anything or not, but I have to use her as an A. And then I'm going to use Bruins Mastery as an A also. Renee Mescua has had two runners so far, and they both won one, and the other ran really well at, at larger odds. So I think he's coming down with some some pretty good stock. So I need to use him as an A in a, in a field that I would not be scared to take a first-timer in. And then I'll use uh, Modero as a B, and then I'll throw in Fast Investment as a C with all the rest of my A's on, on uh, one ticket because there's um, – this horse was off slow twice and maybe this horse has some speed and from the rail, maybe they send and, and can, can steal this. So uh, I'm going to throw the C in the one in as a C. So it's going to be uh, two, four, seven as A's for me, three as a B and the one as a C. And for folks unfamiliar with the concept, that idea of the horses on the C line, if you're perfectly right everywhere else, if it's your top picks or your, you know, your A line everywhere else, you will, you can, you know, for not that much more money, as long as you don't have a lot of C's, you can find ways to include these horses if you get everything else right. And for this one, I mean, heck, at, at, at 20 to 1 on the morning line in a, in a short field, if you're right, the, the kind of thing that could unlock a serious payout. Dean, any more clarity for you in this one? No, this really looked like a mad scramble in here. And, and I guess... Um... With a gun to my head here, I'm gonna I'm gonna use uh, the two horses with experience as my A's, which is the two and three. Uh, you know, I, you know, the two horse, you know, flash him speed going long on the turf. Now cuts back to a sprint. I don't know if he's gonna use those same tactics here, but it's Peter Miller, uh, this jockey trainer combo. They had three three wins here last weekend, so you know it's hard not to use them as an A. I wanted to use perhaps a first-time starter that Justin mentioned, Bruins Mastery. He'd probably be a B here, but, you know, looking at overall stats, the barn, like he had mentioned, uh, had two two starts. I guess they have a win and a third. So they're off to a hot start, but Mastery, three for 87, 3% with his two-year-old prodigy. It's kind of another reason to be a little leery of that one there. But it's that kind of a race, but, you know uh, – I'm going to use two A's in here, which is going to be the two and three, and then perhaps use the four as a as a B backup. We close things out with race number 10, our nightcap, Phillies and Mares, three and up, starter allowance ranks, one mile on the turf, and a big full field. Justin, we'll ask you the key question. How are we going to get paid? All right, Pete. Well, my top play is 15 to 1 in the 10th. Love it. I'm looking at the number number eight sensible move she um her maiden breaker is much better than it looks she was a bit crowded early down the basque stretch she had to pause and angle out mid-stretch um neither of those things are noted in the pps 
And then she got to run and she really leveled off. She only ran hard probably just outside the 16th pole, and she won very easily. Um, she, she's going to need to improve. But, you know, if, if you're just strict, strictly looking at numbers, she, you wouldn't give her a chance. But she really impressed me with that last race. So I, at 15 to 1, I don't think she'll be 15 to 1. I'll say that. But I, I have to put her on my A line. And then I think school dance is, is the class of the race. And has the fa- by far, she has the fastest come home times. Uh, right around 23 seconds, faster than any any of these other uh, fillies or mares in, in this race. Um, going to the, the model barn, that last race, uh, um, her last turf race on April 24th, there were three next out winners behind Linda's gift from that race. Um, I think that was a live race, and I, I think she's the best finisher in this race. So I'm going to use her as an A. And then I'm also going to use the one in your face as an A. She got a perfect trip in her last. She got that perfect Delmar trip, sitting in the pocket, swinging out and finishing. But she could get that again, honestly. And so that's why I have to use her as an A. Uh, so one, eight, and nine as A's. And then I'm going to use the five, beach grass, and the six, uh, witch moon, as my B's. Uh, so I'm going to go one eight nine A's and then five ten as B. Bunch of good angles you mentioned in there. That school dance, come home time, late pace, so important. And that that was a really interesting form angle too from the race two back. We'll see how it works out for those tips from Justin. Dean, how about you? What numbers will be on your tickets to close this thing out? Yeah, I like the one as well. Who uh, Justin mentioned had a really nice trip in last time, but I think I can probably see a similar trip coming here. Um, she drew off sharply in that maiden score at Del Mar. Uh, comes out, has a 79 buyer, which is the, the field's best last out turf buyer. She ran well in her lone start here back in June. Uh, doesn't meet the strongest field of winners here. So I think a repeat is uh, definitely in the cards here for the one and uh, definitely going to be on my A ticket here. As far as some uh, backups, I also like the Gulfstream Shipper of School Dance, who has been freshened since the uh, synthetic maiden score, uh, now makes the first start for the model barn. This barn does well with new acquisitions. And, you know, this Philly's training well here in Southern California. And then, you know, uh, regrettably, I'm going to throw the 10 in as well. It's 0 for 5 on the Santa Anita grass, but comes off a decent one up Barefoot, and this jockey trainer combo are, you know, are pretty good. They close to a $3 ROI with horses returning off of a 61 to 100 day layoff. They're four for 12, 33%. Not the biggest of samples, but enough for me to throw on the ticket there. And then I think this Philly has faced uh, considerably better in the past. So for me, my A's will be uh, one nine and then uh, I'll throw the 10 on it backup ticket as a big all right good stuff guys really appreciate your time today appreciate all the great work you're doing you could read dean any day there's southern california racing over at in the money podcast.com and you'll get justin's santa anita notebook if you're a plus person and then hopefully we'll have both these guys doing some extra stuff for us maybe around breeders cup very exciting times ahead in the next month guys we'll be talking soon Sounds thank good. you thank you PTF here with you for this next segment. My voice almost sounds normal. I can almost fake it for a minute. We'll go with it. But we have a man with a mellifluous voice who's going to carry this segment. He comes to us from Hawthorne. He is Jim Miller. Jim, how are things? Isn't that the craziest thing to think, Pete, that when you're in an industry where you have to have your voice, 
<laughs> to carry things. I always wonder with those track announcers what happens. I mean, I, I look, I've seen guys that have honey water, that have cough drops, stuff like that. Our announcer, Peter Glossy, always has a certain time where it's a cup of coffee that he just has to have throughout the course <laughs> of the day. I just don't know how they do it because you're right. If, if you lose your voice, it's something that uh, makes it very hard to do the job sometimes. But uh, on my end, at least you sound perfectly fine today, Pete. Excellent. Excellent. We'll take we'll take it. Yeah, I mean, there's little tricks. I know my dad was a DJ and, you know, he would you know, tea with honey is always, you know, high on the list. Lots of steamy things to to loosen it up. I mean, as not great as it sounds now, you should have heard the croak that was coming out <laughs> of here this, this morning. But the good news is we're, we're, we're now at least ready to rock for this segment. Before we get into the meat of it, rather than do a pre-recorded ad for Hawthorne, I just figured you and I could talk through some of the points because I know the big initiative coming up, the Thanksgiving weekend contest, there are three of them. There's a lot of money at stake. Excellent opportunity to qualify for the National Horse Players Championship. A million dollar bonus even um, coming into play for these three uh, these three one day contests. But it's a little bit different this year. And I wanted you to talk to folks about that. Yeah, and it is a little bit different this year, Pete, because of construction that's going on and getting ready to really get rolling over at Hawthorne too. But as you know, right before the pandemic, we went through a big demolition of the building, getting ready for construction. Then the pandemic kind of slowed everything down a little bit. But our contests are something that we're known for. We want to have multiple opportunities for players to qualify for the NHC. The NHC has been great with working with Hawthorne for these contests too. But the other thing that we really want to promote is the ability that you play the bankroll how you would a day at the races. It's not going to be one of those contests that's just focused on you get to play win place only and best of luck hitting the right price. This is something where you can focus on the racetracks that you like. You can focus on the circuits you like. You can bet a bankroll how you would throughout the course of the day. And you could have a good day and even not win the contest, but you get to keep that money when all is said and done and the contest concludes too. So that's one of the premises that we really like about the contests. Over Thanksgiving weekend, we do do it over the course of three days and they're three separate contests. So there'll be a Friday contest, Saturday contest, Sunday contest. So if players have a rough day here or there, it's not like things are over for them for the weekend. And that's something that the players appreciate too. And then lastly, like you mentioned, you can't come to Hawthorne right now to play these contests, but we have them at numerous OTB locations. And here, here in the Chicagoland area, there's two major airports to fly into. You have O'Hare to the north, you have Midway right by Hawthorne. Fortunately for us, we have OTB locations close to both airports. So if you want to come in and maybe fly into O'Hare, you're going to play at the Prospect Heights location or one of those northern locations. If you come into Midway, Crestwood is right there. So these are beautiful locations. These are locations where if you're a sports better, you can bet on the sports, but horse racing is really what our focus is. And that's one of the things that we really want to make sure everybody knows. So if you want to check out any of the contest locations, you can do so on the website. All of the locations are listed in the contest rules right there. And then you can kind of plan your weekend accordingly. November 25th, 26th, and 27th. Easiest way to navigate right to the contest page. We created a little pretty link in the moneypodcast.com slash haw, H-A-W, the track code for Hawthorne. It's a $300 bankroll on Friday, a $500 bankroll on Saturday and Sunday. The open format, I mean, it's really, it really suits some players, yeah. this open format. And there's a million dollar bonus. Now, is that, how do, do you, now I'm asking you something I didn't prep you for. Is sure. it just one of the contests that has a million dollar bonus or if you win any of the three? No, you win any of those days. Yeah, you win any of those days and win the, win the NHC. You get that million dollar bonus and people say, oh, well, it's never going to happen. Well, you know what? 
there's been a lot of Hawthorne players that have done very yep. well in the NHC. There's been Hawthorne players that have won the NHC. Uh, look at Justin Mustari. He plays our contests all the time. He's won the NHC. Jim Bennis is always in our contest. He's won the NHC. So it's something where, hey, if you're in, you never know. But again, it's another reason to take a shot at these contests and really go for that big money in the end. Give you something fun to dream on, that's for sure. And it's going to happen one of these years. I mean, oh, yeah. it's been amazing how many opportunities we've had for these giant bonuses without one being cashed in yet. And it's it's going to happen at some point. Maybe it'll happen to you playing at Hawthorne this year. Just a quick word reflecting back on the Invitational before we look into the pick four yeah. on Saturday. We had Chris Larmy on. He talked about what an amazing experience it was. How did it go for you from a broadcasting perspective? You know what? I absolutely loved it. And the, the thing that I love about broadcasting is whenever I'm on the air, I kind of fly by the seat of my pants anyway. So I have my initial preparation in, which is – Here's the races that we're going to play. Here's what I want to talk about with those races. Everything else is really done on the fly with these contests because there's so many moving parts. You're, you're covering a four-hour period nearly, and you don't know who the leaders are going to be. You don't know what kind of bets they're going to make, how things are going to play out. But at the same time, you're trying to guide everybody when you're talking about it to here's horses to look at. Here's where the focus may be. And with a contest like that, the really cool thing about it was we had cooperation of the racetracks who we were showing the races. So we were able to bring the feeds of those races into the contest and work around that. You're able to talk about odds leading right up to the gate. You talk about strategy and strategy definitely changes for sure. The one thing I was really surprised by with this contest is nobody had like a massive bankroll. And when I'm talking massive, there was $2,000 buy-in. I figured 15, 16,000 was going to win that contest. And everybody just kind of petered right around that $2,000 mark, $2,500, maybe $3,000. It was just over $4,000 that won in the end. But it shows how tough the races were that we picked. And it just it, it was very cool to broadcast because you saw a lot of very good players always hovering around there. But nobody really made that huge move. And it was Chris who emerged clear in the end. Chris is a very good handicapper, a great friend of the Hawthorne contest. And I was really happy to see him win. Let's dive into these races on Saturday, starting off with race number five. We've got $13,000 claimers going six furlongs on the dirt. How are you going to light this candle in the late pick four? Yeah, it's a really weird race because all your horses that are the top contenders here all can show speed. You're talking about Latin Casino, Naughty Alfred, and Time Heist. To me, you use all of them. That, that may be the best way to go. The horse that concerns me is the nine Oscar winner, Wally, just because the way that this one's running style is to settle back early on and run at him late. But you're looking at this field. Naughty Alfred's my top pick. I thought the horse raced okay in that last out. And I think the distance really got it. That was going six and a half. That final 16th of a mile was a lot for Naughty, Naughty Alfred to handle. But you look at this horse at three quarters. 12 times first or second out of 22 starts at the distance. E.T. Baird in the saddle again. He won aboard this horse two back. I think this is the fastest to the front. Latin Casino takes a bit of a class drop here. The better race might be the start two back, where this one actually settled back a little bit early on and then ran at him late. That might be the style that helps that one. And then Time Heist was a horse that actually defeated Naughty Alfred. This was the one that battled the entire way in that last out. And the one thing that's been interesting, Pete, Canterbury shippers this year, more than any other year, have really been running well. And you don't have all these horses coming from Arlington Park anymore, so you had to find the circuit that was really going to wake up. And it seems like Canterbury Park has been the one their racing has gotten very good in recent years, and we're going to talk about a lot of Canterbury horses over the course of this late pick four, too. 
I went with Time Heist in this spot. Comes here in good form. And you mentioned about the other speed. At least Time Heist has shown that ability to lay just off the pace. And I think can get the right kind of trip. Should be suited too by the slight turn back in distance. And I wanted to have a backup line with Oscar winner Wally, who I yeah. thought might be the best closer. And, you know, Broberg, um, back in the care of Broberg, whose stats are very good, generally speaking. I was going to try to mess around with those two, but you make a good point about those others. Any others to talk about in here before we pivot? You know what? The other one that you maybe want to look at is a horse that for, for so long was a hanger. And then it's kind of figured things out. And that's the three to yank. This was a horse that would run close, run close, run close, and not want to run by at Hawthorne. Then all of a sudden, at the end of last year, started this year, they put together a three-race win streak. This is a horse that in that last out comes out of that same race as Latin Casino and was a little bit disappointing. But that was the first start off a bit of a layoff. So if you're looking for a price and want to toss someone in, and there's a single later, so maybe you can throw to yank in there and just get a little bit more coverage. Race number six is the Pizza Man Stakes. We're going a mile and a 16th on the turf. I know you were on with Howard Kravitz talking about this race uh, last night. Folks can find uh, the the pod version slash replay of that to to get a deeper dive. For me, I thought that number five temper tantrum stood out a little bit in this spot. Just looks very strong on numbers, keeping good company. I thought would get a good trip again from just off the pace. I was thinking that the main rival on numbers anyway, another mystery, might find this mile on a 16th a little bit sharp. I definitely have some interest in Temper Tantrum. How do you see it? Temper Tantrum's a very game horse. This is a horse that tries very hard. And I talked a little bit about this with Howard last night. The concern for me in this race, and, and I did talk to Chris Block this morning to confirm that he is staying in this race and wasn't going to go to Keeneland on Friday. Right. That's important for one. The other thing too, and I mentioned this to Howard, you look, okay, the three, another mystery, owned by Team Block, trained by Chris Block. The six, landmark deal, owned by Team Block, trained by Chris Block. But then look to the four horse power through, owned by Team Block, but trained by Mickey Goldfine, because a trainer can't have three in a race in Illinois. And power through has been with Mickey Goldfine the whole way through. This is a horse that ran just a week ago. I think this is a horse that tries to set things up for another mystery. Temper Tantrum can show speed. Power through is the one that keeps things honest. And I think Urin Corey, the long shot, helps to kind of keep that pace honest early on. And you're right about another mystery. The further this one goes, the better he is. But he won at a mile on this Hawthorne turf in the spring. And he had to be all out to get up in time to defeat Temper Tantrum there. The mile and a 16th, well, not the optimal distance for him. He has won five times at the distance. I actually singled on another mystery in here just because of the other horses in the race to maybe put too much pressure on temper tantrum early on. I think it makes a ton of sense, the idea of maybe a little bit of team tactics, because when you don't have ground to bring stamina into play, a searching pace can sometimes bring stamina into play. I am definitely going to be playing some another mystery. I mean, between that form line from the spring and the way you just uh, designed the race in your head, that's that's very, very logical to me. So I, I may just go ahead and try to use both of them if I can be skinny enough elsewhere. Race number seven, We've got an allowance race for three and up going six and a half on the dirt. Jim, we'll keep it with you. Well, remember how we talked about Canterbury horses being so good earlier on in the show here. Look at the eight horse, Love the Ness. This is a horse that is a Minnesota bred, but the horse ran an exceptional race at Hawthorne back in May. Showed speed in there, defeated some pretty good horses and defeated them rather easily. Then went up to Canterbury Park, just missed the Dr. Oscar, and Dr. Oscar actually just came back and won impressively at Hawthorne here last weekend. And then Love the Nest wins two stake races. 
a really game effort in the Minnesota Derby, then goes back to the sprint and wins that one impressively. To me, the six and a half furlongs may be perfect for Love the Nest because you do have a lot of speed in here. Golden Hornet, who has to be considered from the Ravelli Barn, is going to wing it from the inside. Omaha Red has been very good over this Hawthorne track. A lot of speed can show a little bit of speed as well. And I just think Love the Nest maybe settles back a little bit, then runs on late. That's a horse I used. A couple others that I did use. Again, I mentioned Omaha Red. So good at Hawthorne with some solid figures. Watch out, too, for the four. Chicks dig scars. Chris Amy rides for trainer John Arnett. Arnett came in with 45 horses from Prairie Meadows. He won a race each of the days last weekend. And everything was still overlooked a little bit early on because people are kind of trying to figure out, okay, who is he? How competitive are his horses going to be? What are they going to do? And Chicks Dig Scars, a big, big figure in that last out. And this is a horse that I think is actually going to be forced to rate back and run on late. Eight on the top and then the three and the four to mix in. Is that, uh, yep. is that a that's, if that's how I'm going to play it? To me, if you want to throw one other in, maybe it's the one Golden Hornet. But yeah, I went eight, three, four. Yeah, I could see Golden Hornet, you know, winging out there on the lead, maybe hanging around for a piece. We're reading from the same uh, hymn book here. I like Love the Nest a lot. Gotten very good late in the three-year-old year. This is a winning kind off a couple of stakes wins, who I think should be able to pull a pretty good trip as well. We'll move on to our nightcap race number eight. The $6,500 claimers going six and a half on the dirt. Tricky little race where the figure horses are making a surface switch. But I'll ask you the key question, Jim. How are we getting paid? Oh, my gosh. You, you talk about a, a great race and an excruciating race to close out the sequence. You uh, you get both of them there because you're right. I guess the first question you have to start out with, do, do you believe in the last race out of the four Irish Tough? This is a horse that ran huge in that last start. The number was gigantic for this horse in, in comparison to any of its other numbers. If you believe he can come back and repeat that performance and not bounce – you throw Irish Tough in the mix. I'm going to give him the shot in there. The two Christmas present is pretty interesting to me as well. You get E.T. Baird in the saddle again. He rode this horse in that last out. I thought he rode the horse just fine, and I actually liked the way that this horse settled back a little bit. When they turned into the lane, he, he kind of was looking around a little bit, drifted in a little bit in the stretch. That was something that uh, I wasn't quite sure what to make of there. It's, it's the reason I used the horse, but a reason why I'm not super confident. So... I'll be curious to see kind of how things unfold for that one. And then a couple others that you want to look at, the two Cody Rosine horses, if you're looking for prices. The one, Pirate Bird, the five, Super Fortune, both horses that can be in the mix. But like you mentioned, the question here is those turf horses. What do you do, especially with where the day go? This is a horse that has been running exclusively on the grass of late, and now they turn back to the main track. I think they'll take a lot of action, but I'm not sure what's going to happen there with where the day go. I ended up putting Super Fortune on top, been racing against better, has decent dirt efforts in the past, and I just love this pedigree for dirt. But I do think Irish Tough, while I do not trust Irish Tough, I do want to have in there in case um, he's able to shake loose again. That did seem like a very much of a speed-biased day and maybe a flattered effort. But hey, if you're going to get something like this, you know, 6-1 to one of the morning line or even down to 4-1, to one, I think on that number... Definitely a horse I need to include. Five and four for me to close it out. Jim, I wrote you down with the four and two as the main plays and yep. then mixing in the one and five. Yeah, that's the way I'm going to play it too. I, I'm, I'm going to search for a price. I'm going to try to beat the horse coming off the grass, turn into the main track. I think you can have that ability to expand here, especially because I like another mystery so much in the sequence. Single there, spread late. Hopefully you can cash a decent ticket. 
I like it. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. Folks can get all the information about these upcoming Hawthorne contests in themoneypodcast.com slash Haw, H-A-W. Jim, we'll be talking soon. You got to rest those pipes, man. Get good for next week. <laughs> Cheers. And that's going to do it for today's edition of the show. I want to thank all of the guests, all of the guest hosts, everybody for making this possible, especially uh, producer Craig working extra hard to stitch it all together. Very much appreciated. We'll thank our founding partners, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation and Ted Strike Racing. But most of all, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do, especially those of you who are signed up for our Plus service. We have so much good stuff happening for Breeders' Cup. Perfect time to sign up for In The Money Plus and get a whole bunch of extra content in themoneypodcast.com slash plus. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kitchen. I'm a voiceless Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. 